Ooh, my petite jambe. <laughs> Sorry, French <laughs> listeners. <laughs> I'll cut that out of your Welcome back to another episode of Is Fitz Happy? My name is Luke. And I'm Emma. And today we are discussing chapter 19, Journey. We're uh, finishing up with um, Fitz at Buckkeep, and he's soon to move on to the Mountain Kingdom. Right. Exciting stuff. Ugh. Yeah. <laughs> Scary stuff. Because we know True. what happens. True. <laughs> the beginning part here is just discussing more of the Mountain Kingdom and... You know what their culture is like and how they got to have sacrifices, what Buckkeep and Six Duchies calls kings, that sort of thing. Right. Um, it discusses that the Chiyurda, what we've heard before, is um, a people, not so much like the land. Mm-hmm. It's basically Caucasians. They're <laughs> tall, pale, light hair and light skin. Right. And sometimes red hair. Yeah. So... Um, and then it goes on to say that uh, the king um, isn't really a king because there's a lot of different unique people in there, but everybody in the Mountain Kingdom bears loyalty towards this person. Right. They and, get to pass judgments. Right, exactly. And this is a tradition that started uh, a long time ago by a prophet judge, a woman who is not only wise, but also a philosopher who founded a theory of ruling whose keystone is that the leader is the ultimate servant of the people and must be totally selfless in that regard. And I kind of had a thought, like, maybe it's a white? Yeah, I was thinking that too, because it did say prophet judge. Um, And it would explain how they, or how she got a diverse group of people together to listen to one person. Yeah, and they still have, like, when the fool is at, um, Jampe? Jahampi? Jahampi? <laughs> How oh, are we going to say it? I don't know. How do you say it? Jampe. Okay, we'll do Jampe. When the fool is in Jampe, um, after everything kind of goes down, people make pilgrimages to see him. Yeah. So there must be some belief um, in the white prophecies and, you know, a tradition similar to that. So mm-hmm. it kind of makes sense that there is a strong history that potentially it might have been a white. Right. Although it does seem odd for a white to take a leadership position. Right. Yeah. Because yeah. normally they use um, catalysts to do the work, but also. I mean, it could be a white who defected from the path, or maybe they just thought the best way to get on the path was to do it themselves. Right. Yeah, we don't really know for sure. Um, but gradually, the judges were a thing, and that ki- that title kind of got passed down, and it morphed into a king mm-hmm. or queens, and they became servants and sacrifices for their people. Right. And there's a lot of different examples of that. Yeah. And right after giving all these examples of Jampe people being, or the Jampe rulers being selfless and strong and courageous and whatever their people needed, 
Um, it immediately set, has the line, tales have been told that make the mountain folk out to be harsh, almost savage, which I thought was a really interesting jerk back to how the Bucky people are viewing the mountain yeah. kingdom. Um, because I don't, I don't know. It doesn't sound very savage to sacrifice yourself as a ruler at like to offer yourself up as a hostage in a feud with another nation. But it's, I don't know. I just thought it was really interesting to jump from these selfless acts to they're savages. I mean, right after that, it does say that, you know, badly deformed babies are exposed to the weather. So they die. Right. Elderly go into a self-imposed exile into the wilderness to die as well, to not be burdens. Mm -hmm. So it, it's a very harsh climate and culture. Yeah. And I'm guessing those judges to be, to have an impartial judge Mm -hmm. is probably, you know, with all those unique, different groups that live up there, it's probably a very uh, good thing to have. Yeah. So that probably, you know, the evolution came from that. Mm -hmm. But I also like um, the final sentence in this whole intro of such customs may seem quaintly barbaric to those in the more settled of the six duchies, but they are peculiarly suited to the world of the mountain kingdom. And I think that's a really cool thing to do to say they have different practices and maybe to other areas of the world that don't do those things anymore. It seems barbaric but it's, and savage, but it's really just their culture and it's just different. It's not necessarily i mean do i agree with letting babies that are deformed leaving them out in the snow no and i would never do that but also if that's their culture and that's their people i think it's nice that we have this ending sentence that says you know like yeah sure it seems weird to us but that's how they have to be because the mountains are a hard place to live and i really like that also, one of the other examples is a man who breaks his word may have his tongue notched as well as having to surrender double the value of his original bargain. Yeah. Yeah. But also, maybe <laughs> maybe it stops people from lying. Right. So. Yeah. Um, and then we go into Buckkeep, mm-hmm. kind of picking up where Robin Hobb kind of does this quite often, where you pick up in the next chapter and a lot of time passes and we get Fitz's thoughts on, you know, what's happening in the world. It's happened a couple times so Mm -hmm. far where um, we have more forgings here. Mm -hmm. We have uh, thoughts and preparations for the trip that we left off on, you know, in the previous chapter. So three more towns were attacked. Two were forged with people killed. And the third was defended against. Mm -hmm. And that was with the help of out-islander immigrants. Mm-hmm. They were mercenaries, um, and it wasn't at all thanks to the king or the soldiers. Yeah. Which definitely makes things a little rough. Definitely. And with those mutterings against the king, they want warships. Mm-hmm. Um, people don't understand, like, oh, we'll wait till spring. They, the farmers want to be defended now. They don't understand right. the inaction of the royal line. Right. Like, and, just, like... I don't even know that it's that they don't understand that it takes time. I think it's hard to tell someone who has a knife at their back to stay with that knife at your back. Right. 
<laughs> until next spring because then we'll have it uh, protection ready for you. They're probably thinking, why didn't you already have it ready for me now? <laughs> right, yeah. <laughs> um, but I do like that they they talk about a little bit about how um, some merchant ships have been turned over to be um, makeshift warships, um, and they describe them as tubby wallowing things. And I just thought that was a very good description. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we kind of uh, touched on that when Molly was talking about how the merchants in uh, Buck Town pitched mm-hmm. together to you know fund a ship. And yeah, it's it's kind of. Fitz paints a very bleak picture in his mind, comparing the uh, the two ships, a merchant converted ship and a uh, <laughs> sleek red ship. Um, but the landlocked duchies, with the increase of you know taxes to fund the war, to fund warships, mm-hmm. they are getting increasingly unhappy, and in a meeting. The Duke of Tilth said, why don't we just give some land away to the uh, red ship raiders and right. they'll stop raiding more. And of course, the uh, the other duchies and the other dukes did not appreciate that. And it's basically Pharaoh and Tilth siding together, the two landlocked ones versus the coastal duchies. And there's that divide that's just growing. Right. Um also, I wanted to point out, so Pharaoh and Tilth are the only yeah. landlocked duchies, mm-hmm. um, which I think I forget sometimes when reading this because it's all just kind of uh, words <laughs> instead of the map in my mind. Um, but when I was looking over the map for this chapter, I realized that it's just the two of them. So that's all of the inner duchies saying. Yeah, all the farmland, basically. Yeah. And the herds. And, I mean, to be fair, the Duke of Burns had a good point of, okay, you want to give land away? How about we stop trading and putting your stuff out to sea and then see how much you like it? And I don't know. I just think it's really interesting that they're not thinking of that at all. They, like, well, I mean, you have to remember, this is where Regal and <laughs> Queen Desire came from. <laughs> True. They think they're better. I know. But I just, like, why wouldn't they be thinking of... If the seaports are all being under attack, right? trade isn't... Even if they have th- goods to trade, there's no way to get it out to anyone to buy. So they're going to lose money in the long run, too. But I guess they don't care. <laughs> no, I mean, they are just suggesting to cede some of the land, not all of the, the coast. They're like, oh, we'll right. just give them some land, and then they'll stop. Which is very short-sighted right. as well. But Which also, Pharaoh, when I looked on the map is like the size of two duchies combined for yeah. every other duchy. They're big. Except Tilith, big. Tilith is really small. <laughs> but like, what? Like, they want other people to give up land? How about you give up land to the coastal duchies? I don't know. <laughs> so everything's kind of a mess right now. The The six duchies are definitely starting to fracture quite a bit. Yep. And... Uh, Regal is still dancing his diplomatic steps, it says, um, to arrange this wedding. And Verity gets his way. Yeah. Um, Regal is going to say the words and the promise to Ketrakin, with August being Verity's eyes into the ceremony mm-hmm. in the Mountain Kingdom. And then they're going to travel back to Buckkeep and do a ceremony there with some representatives from the Mountain Kingdom witnessing. Right. 
Um, and also, Shrewd thinks this is the only way to fix everything. Like, he yeah. is so blind in a way. He's set his sights on, this will fix it. I'm not changing my mind. And instead of, like, making policies or trying to be a leader, he's kind of putting all of his eggs in this marriage basket, it feels like. Yeah. I mean, as far as I can tell, this is the best solution right now. But I agree with he should have done something earlier. Right. Um, But it does, you know, Rurisk is very willing to give wood for warships mm-hmm. this brings in another ally like it, it's right. very smart but like it's very late yeah it to feels... be looking for solutions yeah i don't know it just feels like he could have been doing something else on top of this and he's not he's just kind of waiting which is weird for someone who seems as smart as he seems but I guess he is only human, and we only know him through Fitz's eyes, who is a young boy, against this man who has been a ruler for several decades. Right. <laughs> so. Yeah. And then Fitz says that he's recovered from Verity draining his strength, but what Galen did to his mind is taking him a while to unravel. Mm-hmm. Which completely makes sense. I mean, it's it's someone making you forget part of who and what you are yeah and he's like i still have too much time alone like i take care of leon still it's only a couple hours a day but there's like not much to do i made a jaunt into buckkeep but the chandlery was dark and Mm -hmm. i didn't wish jade and molly well (laughs) um which is interesting because uh that wish kind of comes true and it's really bad because right now Molly's father has died. Right. And she loses the Chandlery to, um, I think like creditors, like for money. Right. And Jade is her cousin who comes and arranges (laughs) for her to move to other family in Silt Bay, which then gets raided by the red ships. Oof. Yeah. And then she makes her way back because the family can no longer support her because all the damage done there. And then she becomes, um, I think she goes to Buckkeep to looking for Fitz to get like loan her money and then is directed to Fedrin who directs her to Patience. Yeah. So like it's <sighs> Fitz, not a, not a greatly timed wish there. No, not at all. But I mean... Well, I guess he does know it's been dark for ten days. You would think he knows her dad is on the decline, so you would hope he would think about it a little bit more. But he doesn't, which is... Yeah. He's just just thinking of Jade and like, oh, they ran off together. He's a teenage boy, so... (laughs) Then he goes to visit the fool. Look for the fool, because he's lonely. (laughs) Says for... No other reason than that I was lonely. I decided to seek out the fool. Does that kind of feel like an excuse? <laughs> it's kind of written like one. Mm-hmm. I don't know. Like, I, I wouldn't go looking for the fool unless I was super He's lonely. He's not my, like, friend. <laughs> I don't like him or anything. I'm just Gross. really lonely. <laughs> um, but yeah, so they, he goes off. Can't and, find him. No. And... We learned that he's known where the fool's room is this whole time. Yep. Um, it's probably common knowledge around the keep in general. Like, I'm sure the servants are like, oh, ignore that area because it's right. 
He's a creepy little <laughs> fool guy. Um, yeah, but it was once a map room that mm-hmm. had unobstructed, unobstructed views from the whole land, but then additions were made to the castle, and so now there's... Taller towers and... <laughs> there's not, it's kind of obsolete. Um, which I think is really interesting that there's a tower presumably near the middle of the castle that doesn't look out into anything. And is, like, surrounded by other walls and towers. Uh-huh. Yeah. It's yeah. kind of goofy to... He's very... It's, it is the perfect room for the fool because uh, he's a very private person. Right. And it's so secluded that there's literally no other way to it. Like, no one wants to go there mm-hmm. to a tower that does nothing. <laughs> yeah. It's and, pretty perfect. Yeah. It, I mean, the sentence, it had outlived its usefulness for anything, save chambers for a fool, I think is pretty accurate. But it also says that when Fitz is going up the tower, um, it's really warm, it's hot, it's dusty, save for a f- um, there's a few arrow slits that did little more than illuminate the dust motes at my feet. Do you think, like, there's so much dust because nobody goes up there? Or do you think it's just because it's medieval times? And <laughs> I think a little bit of both. Um, yeah. I mean, we know the fool is a pretty clean person, but I don't see him, like, cleaning the steps, right. like, every day, you know? <laughs> and yeah. also, there's only, like, one servant who likes him mm-hmm. that we know of, so I, I don't think that she would be cleaning the steps to right. his tower either, so... But also, do you think they close the arrow slits in the winter? Nope. So it's just really cold... <laughs> going up to that tower. It probably has a fireplace in there. But yeah, it's probably really cold up up there. Hmm. I know, like, when they're talking about uh, Fitz going up to the tower to train in the skill with Galen, mm-hmm. that since they can't wear shoes, like, his feet are freezing on the way up. Right. I guess castles aren't really built to be insulated, so... No, it's all just pure stone, basically. <laughs> stone and wood. Yeah. And... Buckkeep is literally described as not a warm place before right. Queen Ketrikin gets there, if I remember correctly from the next book. Yeah. It's like, there's no, you know, there's no, like, rugs, there's no tapestries, mm-hmm. really, besides a few old ones. Huh. It's not made for a woman, I think is the description, or something like that. Hmm. It's just a cold, like, utilitarian place and not welcoming. Yeah. Interesting. So I feel like... The upkeep isn't the number one priority. (laughs) I guess. (laughs) Especially right now with the war going on, but... Yeah. Hmm. I don't know. I think they could use a few more rugs and tapestries. Queen Ketrikin is a great addition later. (laughs) Yes. (laughs) Uh, But he doesn't find the fool up there. He calls for him. Doesn't answer. Well, this kind of feels like one of those... If you don't want me to go in, say nothing. Moments <laughs> where he's a little bit, but also, it, I mean, it says he does like he calls out. He's like, "It's me, Fitz." Right. He doesn't hear anything. And then he opens the door and says, "Fool," and it says, 
but I could feel he wasn't there. So at this point, he knows for a fact the fool isn't there, and he still goes into the room. So I feel like, to me, he I think he did go there with the intentions of finding the fool, but since the fool wasn't there, I don't think he had any intention of not going in the room regardless, you know? I think he just wanted... He was curious. He wanted to know what's up there. Probably. But it does say that he could feel that the fool wasn't there. Not as I usually felt folks' presence or absence, but by the stillness that met me. So, is this a nod to the fact that he's he cannot feel the fool or do you think he can feel the fool just in a different way from other people he can't feel the fool because i think the fool still surprises him all the time and Mm -hmm. things like that but also i think it's kind of the same thing as like if you walk into a room and someone is like very still or like sleeping on a couch or, or something like that and you don't really know you're kind of like Mm, there's someone here <laughs> like you get that little feeling of uh-huh. like oh there's there's probably someone here and i think that's similar to what he's kind of describing mm. it, it might be related to his wit where he's like there's just no like movement here everything he keeps describing that the the air is really close it's very stuffy and i feel like everything is just kind of like weighted down by the air and there's mm. this like dampening effect over everything and he opens this door and it's just like nothing is moving there's nothing going on so he's like oh he's he's not here right that's i I think it's just more like a poetic description rather than sense that was just Hmm. my thoughts interesting do you think he he has a different sense for the fool i don't know i mean even when they're connected with the skill print on him he doesn't always know where the fool is. Right. And so I was thinking that maybe this would mean that, like, because he can't sense the forged ones, and that freaks him out the first time he realizes that. So why wouldn't he be freaked out about the fact? He, like, almost offhandedly mentions that he can't feel the fool a couple times. And so it makes me wonder if there's, like, slightly a sense it's just really really soft and he has to really focus on it and so he, it gets lost and that's how the fool sneaks up on him maybe i i thought the first time like he noticed like actually noticed it about the fool was like he had a shiver or something like it was it was like a slight like discomfort right he doesn't really mention it after that mm-hmm. but... he, well he mentions it a couple times i think but the first time he does it is definitely before the for- he meets the forged ones for the first time. And so I think what always throws me off is whenever he meets the forged ones is when he like has this epiphany that he can do the thing that other people other people can't. But do you think yeah. then that's just because Chade is there and isn't reacting and like with the Maybe. fool everybody's kind of weirded out by him and so it's like oh they can't feel him either so it makes them uneasy well i think fitz can recognize that the fool has a moral compass and <laughs> well, compassion yeah. that but i don't know it just feels like a weird difference to me i don't know yeah yeah i don't know but fitz walks into the room and it is colorful it's full of art there's you know blankets and tapestries with mm-hmm awesome designs and patterns on it there's a wide shallow bowl with colorful pebbles at the bottom with floating flowers and a fish in there Mm -hmm. it's just a bunch of color in a drab thing a drab castle and 
Fitz tried to imagine the colorless, cynical fool in the midst of all this color and art. Yeah. Well, it would be weird, because the fool wears black and white motley, right? Yep. So, and he's pale white completely, so <laughs> it yeah. would be super weird to, like, only know this person in one way, and then, like, walk into their room and see nothing but color. I don't know. Sounds like a cool room, though. It does sound like a cool room. Oh my gosh. Every time I picture it, it's just... Except for the very creepy, lifelike baby doll that <laughs> okay, Fitz that's... now describes. That is also really creepy. Yeah. Because Fitz thinks it's a real doll at first. Goes to kneel baby. by it. Real baby. Yeah. Sorry. <laughs> but um, he kind of stays by there and just like stares at it as if it was a real baby for a while. And then gets up and he's like, I shouldn't really be here (laughs) and leaves so do you think this doll was made by the fool or do you think oh okay so i was wondering if this was like a gift from one of his family members or maybe even like i mean fitz thinks it's made out of some sort of clay right which it could still be made out of wood i don't think fitz touches it so he doesn't know for sure but if it is clay and it's a super lifelike doll, maybe he got it from um, the island where... Oh, maybe. Um, because he's traveled to get here. Yeah. It's possible that he went through... The other island. Yeah. But also, you're maybe. not supposed to take things from there, so... I, I don't know. I feel like the journey to get to Buck was extremely harrowing for mm-hmm. the fool. And I don't think he would be able to protect himself or... I don't think he was able to protect himself even. He was very abused Mm -hmm. on the way over. And I don't think that he would have been able to secure or keep a doll in that Hmm. unblemished fashion. Right. And I don't see anybody else in Buck making something like that. Fitz didn't remark that like, oh, this is the mark of a... Mm -hmm. like an awesome puppet kind of thing. Right. But that also doesn't say where he got the really cool designed blankets and things like that were from either. So yeah, I, I really don't know. I know it really makes me curious. And it I been, mean, it could have been a gift by the, um, the satrap of yeah. Jamalia, his friend. Been. It's I don't know. It just is one of those things where I think about it. I mean, not that I think that the fool couldn't be capable of making this because we all know he's very talented at arts and crafts. But <laughs> um, it just arts and crafts king. Yes. <laughs> and then later, arts and crafts, crafts queen. <laughs> yes, you know we stand. Um, Rain Wild Street. Arts and crafts royalty. <laughs> royalty. There you go. Um, but I don't know. I just feel like. He's pretty young now. I guess he is in his 20s-ish, we think. Probably close to 30. Yeah. So I guess he does have time to have developed a skill as articulate. No, that's <laughs> as Detailed intricate. and intricate. In, yeah. yeah, as intricate as the one that he is showing. And we know that he is a very skilled carver. I don't know. I guess I just still think of him as a kid, mostly. <laughs> Fits leaves and he's says he goes slowly down the myriad steps torn between dread that i might encounter the fool coming up and burdened with the knowledge that i had discovered one denizen of the keep who was at least as alone as i was Mm -hmm. 
and I don't I guess I don't really understand where Fitz gets that feeling from because yes he is correct the mm-hmm. fool is extremely alone and um, as alone as Fitz is but going into a room and just kneeling by a person's doll for an indeterminate amount of time I, I don't know I think the room is so much different than the fool that it makes him realize that there are parts of the fool that he doesn't know and probably nobody does because they're not close enough to him. True. And I think it also speaks to he had to collect all these beautiful things to look at so how much time does he spend in his room looking at them? Right. And why wouldn't he be why would he be making his room this pretty when he could be playing with other people? Yeah. And I don't know. I just, I guess I see it as one of those things where Fitz just feels like, I mean, because nowhere else is decorated, right? Nobody really, I mean, I guess we don't really know, but it seems like people don't really decorate their rooms except for Patience who spends all of her time in her room or (laughs) Jade, who spends all of his time in his room. And it just feels like the more decorations there are in a place, the longer that person has spent time there. And people who aren't lonely don't tend to spend time in their room alone. (laughs) Yeah. But he doesn't meet the fool on the way back down. Saved. (laughs) Saved for now. Yeah. (laughs) But uh, we move on, next paragraph, to a meeting with Jade. And Chade is looking the worst for wear. Mm-hmm. Um, saying, as Verity was devoured, so was Chade consumed. Yeah. It also says, he seemed to have no more purpose in calling me than to see me. Which seems a little sarcastic, but Fitz, Chade does love you. Like, yeah, I why mean, Chade does have a reason to call him, too. Well, a little but... bit, but it is kind of just that he likes Fitz and wants well, to see true. him. Yeah. Um, but Fitz starts out the conversation with, like, you know, are you afraid I won't be able to do it? And Chade's like, what? <laughs> do what? Do what? He's like, kill the mountain prince Rurisk. Chade didn't know this. Uh-huh. And he wasn't made aware of this at all. And then he makes a comment, I'm only the tool maker. Another man uses what I make. And that's that after a while of introspection, and mm-hmm. Chade is just like, okay, things are moving past me. Yep. Am I not needed anymore? Yeah. Well, because up until this point, I'm sure the king has went through Shade for every other oh, yeah. mission, right? 100%. And I'm sure Chade is the one who suggested or went against missions for Fitz. Yeah. So for one to just pop out of nowhere that he has no idea of. That'd be a little weird. And then uh, Shade kind of not really reprimands, but reminds Fitz that, like, we're just tools. We do as the king says. That's fine. Like He specifically says, not merciful agents of a wise king. Yeah. Political assassins dealing death for the furtherance of our monarchy. That is what we are. Which is a little too real for Fitz. <laughs> yeah. He's like, oh, uh, why are you t- 
telling me this, trying to weaken my resolve? Or <laughs> Yeah. But it is a really interesting point that Jade is making that we haven't heard him made before. He, he, like, he's made allusions to it of, right. like, we're just tools for mm-hmm. Shrewd, but never so straightforward. Right. And it almost I feel like up until this point, it, fe- it felt as though Chade was thinking that Shrewd is never wrong and everything is justified. And this feels more like it's not always justified. You just have to do it. And I think that's interesting because I think this is the first time we get to see that nuance in Chade that we haven't been able to see before fully. And Chade is kind of explains it off as like, maybe it's a kind of jealousy in me. Uh, I wonder, I suppose, why Shrewd uses you instead of me. Maybe I fear I have outlived my usefulness to him. Maybe now that I know you, I wish I had never set out to make you what... dot dot dot. And Chade realizes that Fitz is a very inquisitive, very smart, loyal boy. Mm-hmm. But he's a very nice guy and doesn't have that shrewd in him he doesn't have that he doesn't have what Chade has now after all the decades of being an assassin gave him he doesn't have that edge to make him cold-blooded kill somebody Mm -hmm. and i think Chade recognizes that as like i i like you like i don't want to don't want to turn you into me (laughs) yeah It's not a death sentence for a crime. This was a simple removal of a man who was an obstacle to greater power. It's not King's justice. Right. Which is hard. I mean, this is probably the first time Fitz has really thought about it that way, which I think Chade is really good at getting Fitz to do. He makes Fitz look at other perspectives because a lot of time Fitz is just thinking about things in his own way. It's all about the way he views the world and he doesn't ever stop to think that other people might view it differently right until Chade is like hey what about this thing and he's like what (laughs) (laughs) and then Chade gets around to what he called Fitz there for and it's talking about Verity Verity has made a formal complaint on Fitz's behalf to the king one against Galen that Galen mistreated and cheated Fitz out of the training that the kingdom sorely needs right now and cheated the kingdom out of that skill at the time where it would be most useful. And um, (laughs) he suggested to Shrewd informally that he settle it with Galen before you took matters into your own hands. Verity's (laughs) like, I'll beat him up for you, Dad. Like... (laughs) Fitz is probably going to do it because he's mad as ever, but, uh... Yeah, yeah, it's... It's kind of cute. I don't know. I love that Verity is sticking up for Fitz. And he had the presence of mind to do it in the middle of all this. Because we know he's very absent-minded. He's kind of just singularly focused Mm -hmm. on his task. Which might be why it took so long to complain. (laughs) That's true. Because he probably didn't realize how much time had gone past between when (laughs) when he helped That was just yesterday. No, this is the tenth dinner I've brought you. Yep. (laughs) Um, But yeah, I think it's interesting that he also phrased it in a way that the king can't get away from. 
Right. He deprived the kingdom of a skill user in the middle of a war where we need skill users. Yeah. On purpose. Like you have to you have to reprimand him. Shrewd is taking it into his own hands. Mm-hmm. Um It's and, and Jade knows that Fitz wouldn't have gone after Galen, but earlier in the chapter, mm-hmm. he said he would have countermanded right? Fitz's order, or uh-huh. Verity's order, excuse me, and gone after and confronted Galen, except Galen already went to, um... Pharaoh. <laughs> yeah. Mm-hmm. To, uh, yeah, Pharaoh. To visit family. Um, but yeah, <laughs> and then he tells Jade, like, I wouldn't have, have done, done it. Not after Verity told me not to. Okay, Fitz. And Jade's like, yep, so I told Shrewd. <laughs> but um, Shrewd is going to settle this in his own way. This time the king works his own justice. You must wait and be satisfied. And no one, if Shrewd does reprimand him, no one's going to be satisfied. Right. Because Shrewd can't really reprimand him that mm-hmm. harshly. Because he still has to be, you know, amenable to be train more coteries. Mm-hmm. To work with the king still. Right. He can't just, you know severely punish him like he yeah. deserves because then he won't teach anybody else which wouldn't be a problem if they had trained literally anyone else in the skill <laughs> but yeah yeah but no um a little too late <laughs> the second complaint that verity made was specifically against shrewd and shade he accused shrewd and me quite bluntly of being willing to sacrifice you for the sake of the kingdom. This, I knew suddenly, was why Jade had called me tonight. I was silent. Jade spoke more slowly. Shrewd claimed he had not even considered it. For my part, I had no idea such a thing was possible. And Verity is speaking of giving Fitz's strength to him mm-hmm. in order to save the kingdom skill-wise. Right. Because Verity's like, I could have drained you and you would have been dead at my feet. Mm-hmm. And Shrewd knew that that Shrewd, was a possibility. Yeah, Shrewd knew that was a possibility. I think Shrewd wanted him there to slowly give strength to Verity right. over a period of time mm-hmm. and he didn't care if Fitz ended up dead. Right. Because Shade's like, hinting at it, and Fitz is like, oh, Shrewd would sacrifice me, right? Yeah. And Shade's like, yep, you, me, and even Verity. Yeah. Like, he would... Not Regal, though. Regal's not on that list. Just pointing yeah, it out. Yeah, I, I noticed that, too, and I did have a comment about that. Maybe it's because he's his favorite, or maybe right. it's because the conversation was... Right. That Shade was literally talking about was just Verity, <laughs> Fitz, Shrewd, and, and him. Right. So that's the only one that, like, came to mind during that. Mm. I don't know. I so, feel like Shade doesn't do anything I knew without you would thinking think about it. <laughs> I knew you would think it's like, oh, it's because Regal can do no wrong. <laughs> but yeah, I think it's interesting. And see, so it's kind of a good intention thing that he's calling Fitz here. And yeah. I don't think Shade would be willing to sacrifice Fitz's life. No, he would not. Ever. I don't think he would sacrifice Verity's life if he could help it. No. And I think it's really interesting that Shrewd, who is the father of Verity, could definitely sacrifice his own son if that would mean that his kingdom would make off better. Although I think if Chade could have switched Verity and Chivalry around, he would straight up right now sacrifice Verity to get Chivalry back as king. Mm. Yeah. 
maybe. I don't want to think that way because I don't want to... I don't know. Jade also is very pragmatic and wants the best for the mm-hmm. kingdom. He recognizes that chivalry was the best ruler, and he had a better relationship with chivalry. Right. But I feel so like that's why I think, like... But yeah. I, I feel like he's less cutthroat. <laughs> Pardon the pun. <laughs> Talking about an assassin. <laughs> he's less cutthroat than his brother. In a way True. that he sees people as real people, and not just as chess pieces. He does see them as chess pieces, but more of like a living, breathing sort. And I think that's where he and his brother differ. Even if he's still willing to like push yeah. people to the extreme or murder people for the king, I think he still takes into account life. Yeah, he de- he definitely does. And I know we're getting kind of off topic, um, <laughs> but I do want to say that if that was an option, Verity would sacrifice himself too right. to get chivalry back. Oh yeah, for sure. Hundred <laughs> percent. He feels already not as good as his brother. Yeah. So, oh, that's so sad. Yeah. Because Verity's a great guy. He's just not... He's not the perfect fit for the situation. No. Which is rough. Yeah. But yeah, so Chade is kind of doing this to reassure Fitz and himself, maybe, that he does care about Fitz and he would not want to sacrifice. But all at the same time, he doesn't really spell out that he would never sacrifice. He just warns Fitz that, like, this is... This is something that can happen. He right. might sacrifice you at some point, or me. Yeah. You have to be working for the best, of mm-hmm. the kingdom's best interest. And then we move on to patience. Yep. Uh, Fitz is kind of awoken <laughs> in the middle of the night. <laughs> the night before the wedding caravan was to leave, Lacey came knocking at Fitz's door and like, hey, patience wants to see you. <laughs> and I foolishly asked, now? <laughs> Uh, so Lacey points out, you're going to leave tomorrow, so yeah, now. And he finds Patience sitting up in a cushioned chair, an extravagantly embroidered robe on on over her nightclothes. Her hair was down about her shoulders, and as I seated myself where she indicated, Lacey resumed the brushing of it. Which I think is such an interesting picture of her, like, her regally sitting on the couch and waiting for her hair to be brushed by her lady. <laughs> it doesn't fit my picture of patience, but No, no, not at all. It's She's a funny like picture. away from it. but I feel like she d- directly positioned herself to look this way. You know, she doesn't normally look this way, but under these conditions she like set up the stage, you know. <laughs> uh, and then she immediately says, "I've been waiting for you to come to apologize to me." <laughs> and then interrupts Fits with a gesture like, I've already discussed it with Lacey. I found I had already forgiven you. Boys, I decided, simply have a given amount of rudeness they must express. I decided you meant nothing by it. Hence, you do not need to apologize. It's too late to apologize now. I've forgiven you. Which is so sweet. Ugh. It's a chivalry saying. Yeah. And, but just also like, I don't know. I'm, like, tearing up just at this whole scene. <laughs> but I just think it's so sweet that she, like, is deciding to be the adult. I mean, which is good, but in Fitz's life, that is not always the case. Right. Where adults 
be, act like the adults in the situation. But she is. She's taking the high road. She's saying, you know what? I don't even care. I care about you and I want to be in your life and I don't care if you were rude to me. You had a hard time and that's fine. Let's just make up. <laughs> also, right beyond that is, besides, there isn't time. I'm sure you should be asleep by now. <laughs> which is which is like perfect patience. Like, hey, go fetch fits for me. You should be asleep right now, but yeah. there but I'm gonna give you something real quick. <laughs> well, while you're here. <laughs> and she decides to give him an earring. Yeah. Compares a bunch of them and uh-huh. finally at last picks out a silver bit of net with a blue stone caught in it. Mm-hmm. She made a face over it, then nodded reluctantly. That man has taste. Whatever else he lacks, he has taste. And then just pierces Without Fitz's ear. Without any warning. <laughs> and Fitz is like, ow! And she's like, don't be such a baby. <laughs> <laughs> so good. And then she's like, okay, go get some sleep. And Fitz is like, with this ear? And she's like, I hadn't thought, I'm sorry. And Fitz, being the smooth debonair that he is, <laughs> too late to apologize, I've already forgiven you. And thank you. Lacey was still giggling as I left. It's so good. I just love that sweet moment that he has. Because I like to think, I don't know, but I feel like maybe the broken relationship with patience was weighing on him a little. Yeah, And I do believe was. that he didn't know how to say sorry to her. Oh, 100%. And he has he's, no... No, yeah. he's not a people person, really. <laughs> he's not a... He doesn't have the emotional... Depth. Maturity to... <laughs> yeah. He has the emotional depth, for sure. Oh, he feels yeah, a I lot guess. of emotions, but he doesn't have the maturity or the social maturity to discuss those. Right. I don't think. Or express that. I mean, he's 14 to 15 years old right, right. now. He's in that awkward stage. But I do like to I get... can barely do that right <laughs> <laughs> I do like seeing this tender moment between him and patience and yeah i just it's really it's a nice palate cleanser from how he treated her before (laughs) now the earring Mm -hmm. um this the the man that patience was talking about was biric um that man has taste this was the earring that he gave to chivalry and that she has because it's chivalry's things right um it's a very important earring to Birik because yes. I believe it was his grandmother's earring that she purchased for her freedom. Yes. It was the mark of freedom that she bought herself from slavery. Mm-hmm. So Birik's grandmother gave it to Birik, or he inherited it, mm-hmm. and Birik gave it to chivalry, just showing that loyalty. Yeah. And now it's passed on to Fitz. Yeah. And then later, um, I think the fool gets it. Yeah, I think you're right. And he has that, um, the, a woven, like, cage of wood around Uh it. Yeah. Yeah. It's pretty cool. Yeah. I don't know. What the fool does as Amber with the artistry is just awesome, but... Yeah, she's, she's amazing. Yes. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, so, visits are done. Almost. Mm-hmm. Uh, rises up early in the morning, ready to get going and go on to Jampe and to the Mountain Kingdom. And he describes that there's a bunch of gifts being brought. And mm-hmm. uh, 
whole cavalcade of stuff. Yeah, and it specifically says, There were gifts for the Princess Ketrikan herself, a fine-blooded mare, jewelry, fabric for garments, servants, and rare perfumes. And I couldn't help but think, this isn't Ketrikan at all. No. It's not even a little bit something she would like. (laughs) The next line is, though, horses and hawks and worked gold for her father and brother. Mm -hmm. Of course. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. That's like, she, she works her own silver. Mm-hmm. So anything like with artistry or worked metal would probably be a good gift to her. Right. The yeah. horses and hawks. She, I mean, she was in the mountain kingdom. Like yeah. she She's was a raised very... up. Everything, everyone about that, everyone who grew up there is a hardy person. Mm-hmm. They're very practical. They're not super flashy or showy. But um. I, um, I think in a couple chapters during the, uh, the presentation of some of these gifts, she is very happy with the jewelry. She's like very delighted and and gasping and and smiling over the jewelry. I guess she does with their culture. She can't really dress up, so maybe it is cool to get like jewelry. I don't know. But like the garments and the servants Mm -hmm. are just like. Yeah, she's not gonna. I mean. (laughs) (laughs) Um, and so uh, some of these gifts are passed into Fitz's possession to carry to mm-hmm. Jean-Pé and the wedding ceremony. And um, that's all packed in a cedar chest of, like, spices and seeds and, and things like that. Right. And that's also where Fitz packs his little poison kit mm-hmm. later. Yeah. Um, but before he packs everything onto his horse and gets up in the, the parade here, somebody interrupts him. Yeah. <laughs> the fool. He brought him um, sea purge, which is a cathartic. Yeah, like something that makes you throw up, basically. Yep. Um, apparently a very strong and violent one. Mm-hmm. And whenever the fool appears, Fitz does say, what is it? And it says... I asked and tried not to let him hear either the flowers or the doll in my voice. He is only thinking about the fact that he broke into his friend's room. Yep, he's like, oh god, oh god, oh god, oh god, oh god. He's gonna find out. Uh, He tries to make, you know, some slight small jokes, but the fool is very deadpan, and Fitz remarks a little bit later as well that this is like as straightforward as we see the fool Mm-hmm. pretty much yeah and as flat-faced and just giving you information and a gift yeah. he's like it's not a wedding gift it's for you you are um and Fizz is like thanks i'm not usually prone to traveler's ailments and f- the fool's like you're not usually when you travel in danger of being poisoned mm-hmm. and Fizz is like i miss the fool's usual wry faces and mockeries from this conversation and so the fool is just like giving to him straight, like don't, don't eat anything that you haven't prepared yourself. Mm-hmm. And Fitz is like, even at the ceremonies, <laughs> and he's like, no, only the ones you wish to survive, which is a. And then he turns to go. Line. Yeah, it is. But yeah, he leaves after that. There's. And Fitz is like, I, he he immediately apologizes, like <laughs> I'm sorry, because obviously something is bothering the fool as well, and it's 
probably pretty obvious in Fitz's mm-hmm. face and everything like that. Yeah. Well, quick side note. How does the fool know Fitz was there? I have a feeling like he was probably watching Fitz. <laughs> he go, was in the corner, Fitz just didn't know. Just like, yeah, well, not in, the, not in the room, but just watch him go up the tower and then come back, like, stay there a long time and then uh-huh. come back down or something. Or something could have been out of place. I don't or, know. like, there was a dirt smudge yeah. from... I don't know, yeah. And Fitz would be the only one stupid <laughs> enough to go up to the fool's tower. True. <laughs> <laughs> but Fitz does apologize, and the fool does not even turn around, and he says, and did you find it amusing? Which, oh, that hurt my heart. Yeah. He expects Fitz to make fun of him oh for what God, he saw. Yeah. He thinks he's protecting himself and thinks that Fitz is going to make fun of him and doesn't care about him. And this is just another person who wants to torment him. Yeah. And And that's not the case, but... He almost shuts the door because Fitz is like, I... And then he freezes. And as the door is about to shut, he kind of blurts out, it made me wish there were a place as much as me as that place is you. A place I would keep as secret. And Fitz kind of gets the feeling that the fool somewhat forgives him with this responses. Take some advice and you may survive this trip. When considering a man's motives, remember you must not measure his wheat with your bushel. He may not be using the same standard at all. His last words have been cryptic and frustrating enough that I thought perhaps he had forgiven my trespass. (laughs) Yeah. Well, I think... I saw it somewhere, I don't remember where, that the fool and Fitz have very different love languages. Yeah. Fitz's love language is action and fool's is words. Mm-hmm. And so I think the fool needed to hear it wasn't enough that Fitz didn't disturb any of his things. He needed to hear from Fitz out loud I'm not going to make fun of you for this. And luckily, Fitz did say out loud (laughs) (laughs) that he was, he admires the fool for this secret. And so I think he does forgive him. And I don't know. I also really like this metaphor. I think it's important for everyday life. Yeah. Um, But yeah. Well, then we get back into the packing, mm-hmm. and Fitz remarks that he has a new crest that Verity ordered for him. He no longer has the barred buck with mm-hmm. that red slash across. He has a uh, a buck with his antlers lowered to charge. Thank you, Verity. Mm-hmm. <laughs> a name and a crest. I nodded to myself, shouldered my chest of herbs and scrolls, and went down to join the caravan. And as he's going down, he encounters Verity. Mm-hmm. But he doesn't recognize him at all no. at first. He... It looked like a crabbed old man. He Fitz even steps out of the way to let him pass first because uh-huh. he doesn't look like recognize him. And then when Verity looks, he's like, oh, that's, that's Verity. Yeah, which is crazy because I don't think it's been that long. Maybe a couple months maybe. in between when they last saw each other. Yeah, I would... Yeah, maybe a couple months at max, I would say. So, I mean, the amount of life the skill has taken from him is just 
ugh. well, we know that things have gotten way worse, so of course he's skilling more, and ugh. I just feel really bad for Verity. Verity asks Fitz to speak well of him to Princess Ketrikin. Ketrikin? Ketrikin? <laughs> Ketrikin. But he specifically says not to lie. Speak well of me to her. Truthfully, mind you, I'm not asking for lies, but speak well of me. I've always thought that you thought well of me. And he does. He does. <laughs> but he keeps on walking um, past Fitz. And it says, I felt much as I had when the fool left me. So he is slightly frustrated, but mostly is going to miss him. <laughs> Probably, yeah. Um, and then we get a very long description of people in the caravan, um, people getting ready for the caravan, and he notices that Birik is coming along and manning the gift of the the uh, fine-blooded mare that's going to go to yeah. uh, Ketchikin and the horses as gifts. Right, which doesn't surprise Fitz. Right. Um, but we also get descriptions of some of Regal's uh, party yep. and a little bit of the drama going on. <laughs> um, Severin's, Regal's favorite valet, is animatedly talking to Hans, mm-hmm. and Hans does not seem very patient. <laughs> and Mistress Hasty tells Fitz that it's because Regal has ordered three uh, loads full three horses worth of new clothes for this event. Yeah. Um, which is a lot. Which is probably why Hans was not looking too happy. And he says that Severin's was a great valet, but he's not very good with bigger animals, so he's not going to be good at helping with the horses that are now needed on top of whatever else Hans has to bring. And then Raud is also introduced, and he's mm-hmm. Regal's ready man, which is basically a bodyguard. And he's a ill-tempered, ill-mannered... And Ill- impatient. An impatient... Man. Man, yeah. Cobb is not along because he's in jean with Regal already, and we see more of him later. Mm-hmm. But Hans is along, and August is there, yeah. looking impassive and very, very changed from mm-hmm. when he was a boy. Yeah, well, he used to be a chubby youth, quiet but pleasant. (laughs) And now he's impassive, almost inhuman. Right. And it does talk about how he looks very similar to Verity. Um, He has the same black bushy hair as Verity, and Fitz has heard it said that he looks like his his cousin did as a boy. Um, But then Fitz reflects that the skill duties... As his skill duties increase, he'll probably resemble Verity even more, because August is a skill user, so yep. he's going to wither away. And that's all that Fitz really knows about it, mm-hmm. is that if you use the skill, you kind of wither away. Yeah. You get eaten alive. Yeah. But uh, there's a big description of you know the direction that they're taking and where they're mm-hmm. traveling through. Uh, he and Hans get reacquainted. Yeah. They have, you know, um, talks, they laugh together, they 
They joke around. Hans tells them a bunch of stories and complains about Raud, who accuses them of vaguely stealing everything. Mm-hmm. Vaguely accuses them of stealing all of Regal's stuff. They're conspiring stuff. together to yeah. steal Regal's things. Um, but uh, it goes through, you know, like Pharaoh's Plains, where it's basically just nomads who yeah. are like herders until it's winter and then they gather into little villages. Uh-huh. Which I think is really interesting because. Pharaoh is where Regal's mom is from, right? Yep. And I think is it Trade's home? Is that Tilth or is that uh, Pharaoh? Queen Desire was the Duchess of Pharaoh. Okay. Yeah. So, but that's just interesting to me that most of the population of Pharaoh is nomadic herders. So, why do they think that they have more power than? Because they're rich. I guess. (laughs) I don't know. I just always... There's little details in here that, like, tell me that it's definitely an illusion to Regal that he has all this power and that, like, he's not really looking at the full picture. But I don't know. We're also seeing it from Fitz's point of view, so... I don't know. Um, he sees very little of Birik on this travel because Birik gets up earlier than the rest of the group mm-hmm. to lead the horses uh, ahead first so they get the pick of the grazing. So mm-hmm. the horses are healthy and shining when they get to uh, the Mountain Kingdom. Do you think he's also doing this to avoid fits? Maybe, but I really think he's stuck on his duty. Like, I need these that's horses fair. to look. Like, yeah. <laughs> I think that's, I think that's his main... Because I think he can ignore Fitz and, you know, right. avoid him easily. I guess. <laughs> yeah, he's pretty stubborn. So. Yep. But um, there is a night when, just one night, when Fitz awakes suddenly to a loud whinnying from Sooty. Yeah. And I thought, I thought that the cedar chest had been moved slightly from where I had placed it. But a brief check of all his contents proved all was in order, and when I mentioned it to Hans, he merely asked if I was catching Raud's disease. Yeah. Who do you think went through the chest? I'm not sure. It was either Severin's or Raud. Or maybe Hans? Maybe Hans, but I don't... I wouldn't think so. Um... Hans is nothing but pleasant pretty much all the time, and I don't know why he would go into... Like, he he, he wasn't royal-born. He's been, like, a stable hand all of his life. Why would he go into the wedding gift chest? Right. You know? But also, isn't he the one who was, like, super awful to Fitz whenever... Uh, that's Cobb. Oh, right. Yep. I'm sorry. I that's Cobb. I confused. And Cobb is even worse right. because he's now Regal's stable hand and kind yes, of gets yeah, that yeah, attitude. Yeah. yeah. Okay, so I was just confusing the two. Never mind then. I was gonna say maybe he's in on the conspiracy and they're tr- he's also trying to kill Fitz. That's why he's sharing meals with him to get his <laughs> guard down. No, no, no. Um, it, it might be Severance. That's my first guess because mm-hmm. Sooty whinnies, and early in the chapter it says that he's not good around the large beasts That's or true. skittish around them. Yeah. But Raud is the one that seems to be hands-on with, like, and accusing people of, oh, don't steal anything. So he might so be the one that... Maybe Severance is going around digging through all the stuff and 
Maybe. Crowd is just assuming it's Fitz because he learned from Regal to hate Fitz. So true. Or but, it could be somebody else besides Severance true. and just someone rooting around. But I, I, both of them know because Regal has been telling everybody in the Mountain Kingdom that Fitz is the poisoner, basically. Right. So his valet mm-hmm. and Rowd, his bodyguard, definitely know. But what what do you think the person was looking for? Maybe the poisoning kit. I guess. I don't know. Hmm. Maybe nothing was moved. Maybe Fitz was imagining it. I don't know. I also, the first thought I had was, why wouldn't you wit talk to Sooty to ask who she saw? Just a quick question. I don't know, but... I don't think Sooty... Remember when um, he first gets placed on Sooty to train and learn? Like, she doesn't want to talk That's true. at all. Like, she's, That's like, true. pretty solidly like, I'm a horse. It's fine. <laughs> I'm a horse. I'm a horse. I'm a horse. But, um, yeah, it, it it continues on this trip. It says that they're going to take, like, two weeks. They allotted themselves three weeks to make the trip. So it's a long journey. And uh, Fitz says, I often wet, went for almost the whole day before I would recall that at the end of this journey, I would kill a prince. Mm-hmm. And it, it really drives, again, home what Chade learned about him and what we know. And that is that Fitz wants a simple life. Like, he doesn't mm-hmm. really want to be caught up in all this. He wants a purpose. He and wants to do something with his life, but he doesn't want to do all of this intrigue stuff. Right. And he has a conscience. <laughs> and he has a conscience, yeah. So, not a great thing to have if you're an assassin. He also wonders about why this was entrusted to him and not to Shade. Mm-hmm. Um... And some of the reasons that I was thinking of were one that was listed in here, that Fitz listed, was that uh, Chade was too valuable to be risked because he could not be spared from tending Verity's health and the um, the king, basically. Right, right. But the other one was that Regal doesn't know Chade or who he is. Right. He thinks that Fitz is Lady Time's apprentice. Mm -hmm. And he's right. Technically. (laughs) Technically. But he doesn't know. Right. So I feel like he might have asked for Lady Time and she was like, nah, you can take Fitz. Mm -hmm. Or maybe he asked for Fitz to get Fitz out of the way as well. That's true. I don't know. Because this is like masterminded by Regal. Right. So. Question. Why is Regal the only one of the brothers who doesn't know who Chade is? Um, Chivalry and Verity were not supposed to know who Chade was either. Mm. Remember, uh, Chivalry found his way to Chade's place or something like that, and then introduced Verity to Chade. Okay. Okay. I guess I forgot that. I just always think that, like... Why doesn't why does he not know? But yeah, that makes It's sense. probably like a like a Harry Potter thing, you know, how the Prime Minister of London or England or whatever gets introduced to the <laughs> wizarding world when they're elected to office. Mm-hmm. It's mm-hmm. when they become king. Then Trude's <laughs> like, Hey, we got a secret guy in the walls. <laughs> By the way, um there's a guy who lives in the walls and can see you in any room. Also, Heads he's up. your uncle. Yeah. <laughs> not creepy at all. Also, you've never had privacy. Like <laughs> Uh. Um, so, 
he also is kind of thinking and dwelling on how to kill Rorisk this whole time. Right. He goes over a bunch of options, and he he really doesn't know. He's like, this has to be super delicate. Nobody can know what I'm doing. Mm-hmm. Rorisk cannot die while we're there. He cannot die while they're coming to marry at Buckkeep, because mm-hmm. all of that can be taken as a bad sign. Right. Like, it's just, this has to be very carefully done. Mm-hmm. And... They finally get to Blue Lake, which is, like, right before the pass. Right. And I just want to make a quick comment that um, all these names are very basic. (laughs) Blue Lake and... River Cold. River Cold. Um, Like, people make fun of Tolkien for his naming of things. And I just want to give Robin Hobb a little bit of crap for <laughs> for picking really lame names <laughs> when she was making a fantasy world with all these interesting things. But that's fair. <laughs> just poking a little fun. Blue Lake, yeah, that's definitely fair. Um, one night around Blue Lake when they were camping there before they were continuing on into the mountain kingdom uh hans and i were nearly overwhelmed with our opinions of ourselves when some green-eyed girls from a grain trading family came giggling to our fireside one night they had brought with them small brightly colored drums each tone differently and they played and sang for us until their mothers came scolding to find them and lead them home (laughs) i did not think of prince rurisk at all that night I think that's a cute little moment. They're both real cute. Ooh. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but they continue on their path, and they are climbing up and up and up. They also, um, it says, And once I glimpsed a great stag of a color and kind I had never seen before or since. Just a quick question. Do you think that's a moose? Cause Maybe. But he never saw one since. Yeah, but I don't know that he's ever seen a moose after this. True, but he spends like a year up in the mountains. Yeah, and but maybe meese. Meese. <laughs> maybe meese. Maybe moose are like rare or maybe. something, you know? It could be. Um, it could be. Um, oh, uh, oh, what are they called? Red elk? Oh, I don't know. I'm not a big wild animal person. Because I was just thinking, like, a moose would be a drastically different color. Because I think elk look similar to deer, right? Like, color-wise. So my thought was, maybe it's a moose, because moose are dark brown. And do have antlers. And if you didn't know what a moose was, you could think it was just a big deer, maybe. Oh, I was thinking of Irish elk. Mm. But um, they were massive, and they're extinct. Um, stood up to seven feet at the shoulder, Ooh. with antlers spanning up to 12 feet. So like a moose. Yeah, basically. But they're uh, a <laughs> giant, giant, giant elk. elk. I don't know. But I was also thinking, like, maybe elk would be near where they are, because there's wooded areas near them, right? I don't know. I just thought I'd point out that I thought that maybe there was a moose reference in here. Could be. Could definitely. But. Great stag of a color and kind I had never seen before or since. What do you guys think that might be? 
Yeah. It'd be interesting. <laughs> it's a moose. We all know. I mean, it is a fantasy world, but... <laughs> it's a magical moose. <laughs> yes. But on their way up to Jampe, they are met with musicians, jugglers, uh, poets of the Chierda. Mm-hmm. The tall, pale people, light of hair and eye, some with hair as red as a fox. And they're speaking in their language. Mm-hmm. And um, they're very forceful with their language and, and singing these songs that Fitz later learns is their history and welcoming the people into their land and, and teaching the visitors more about their culture so they would be feeling welcomed. But, I mean... yeah. Hans doesn't understand the language mm-hmm. right now. Fitz does not really understand the language. So they're both kind of like taken aback. Right. Hans hides and Fitz is like, I practice my courtesies that Jade and Beric taught me. <laughs> right. And it also would be strange. I mean, these are pale people. And we know because Robin Hood has just recently tweeted yeah. that um, Fitz and probably most of the people from Buck are people of color. Um, yeah. So they're probably not used to seeing super pale people around them. Right. And it would be a little jarring <laughs> to go from darker skin tones to, like, super pale skin tones. I think that would be probably why you would be a little freaked out seeing that hands would be a little freaked out seeing them for the first time. <laughs> um, there were a brawny people, the women as well as the men, all seemed to carry a bow or a sling, and they were obviously more comfortable afoot than on horseback. And these are these are the musicians, the bards, the, yeah. the poets. So it's definitely a harsh climate. Yeah, and they seemed to keep up with the horses just fine all mm-hmm. day. <laughs> they sang as they walked, long songs in an ancient tongue that sounded almost mournful, but were interspersed with shouts of victory or delight. If I'm remembering correctly, the Mountain Kingdom tongue is different than their, like, bard speak. But I could yeah, be, I think you're right. Yeah, I think it's like an actual ancient tongue. Like mm-hmm. Fitz is correct in describing it there. Yeah, I think I think you're correct. Where their bards speak differently, because it's more of like a a flowery language. It's, is that? I'm trying to think if I'm mixing up the Mountain Kingdom and the Out Islanders later. No, I'm I pretty sure like, it's the Mountain Kingdom. You think it's the Mountain Kingdom? I'm pretty sure, but I guess I could also be. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I have I, also read both yeah. both series. So, <laughs> but they, uh, yeah, they were the hospitable ones, mm-hmm. as their language translated it. Traditionally sent to greet guests and to make them glad they had come even before they arrived. And the the road became wider, became mm-hmm. partially paved sometimes with stone. And people flocked to join them on their journey to the city. Yeah. And I just want to make a quick mention that these people have a tradition of welcoming people into their city um, to make them glad that they're there before they even reach the city. And they're still referred to as savages. So <laughs> I just like, I don't know. It's just very interesting. It just seemed like a very nice thing to do, and I think it's a cool cultural thing. And I really like that Robin Hobb writes different cultures. It's not, everybody's not the same. It's not just that they speak different languages. It's that they have different belief systems and right. different values and different ways of life. And I think that's really impressive and cool to read. Mirrors the real world quite well because, mm-hmm. I mean, we're considered, us in the United States, a first world country. 
Right. And we look down on some countries that have different cultures than us because people die unnecessarily. Mm-hmm. Um, they have different beliefs than us. Things like that. There's just prejudice everywhere, and that right. is baked in to the cultures in this world. Right. It's and very realistic. Yeah, it's really done well. And it is also done to a point to point out that it's a little weird that there is this bias and this um, yeah. negativity towards other cultures, and I really like that. Mm-hmm. Robin Hobb isn't, like, the strongest world builder mm-hmm. that I've ever read. Um, it's mostly, obviously, a character-driven story. Right. And we live in Fitz's head most of the time. Mm-hmm. The places that we are put in are gorgeous settings and and wonderful places to be, but it doesn't really feel connected unless you look for these tiny little hints and then you see right. these kind of placed throughout and it kind of weaves everything together in a nice nice way. Yeah. And they they make it to Jampe. Yeah. That's where we leave off. And Fitz is really um, in his own head about the decision that he has to make about how to kill a prince. And he's trying to ignore it as much as he can on this journey and he's had a lot of fun on the journey he mm-hmm. he had a friend for two weeks that he yeah. could just like joke around with had girls come up to his camp <laughs> yeah make moon eyes and play music for him because mm-hmm. <laughs> he's so cute <laughs> i'm like in my head i'm imagining the most awkward situation they're like a group of girls coming up giggling oh, yeah. they sit down at the fire and just start playing music and then they leave their school like no words exchanged <laughs> Oh, yeah, because you know Fitz and probably Hans are not about to, like, play it cool and smooth and, like, say all the right things. I could, I could see but Hans doing it. He would try. He'd be a little <laughs> bit more awkward. But Fitz is, like, Definitely not. just going to sit there and not say anything because he's super awkward and weird. And then feel king of the world later. <laughs> oh, yeah, like, oh, that was great. <laughs> and they're going to be like, whoa, what a weird guy. <laughs> Thanks so much for tuning in and listening this week. Yeah. Uh, if you have any comments or anything to say to us or about the chapter, uh, please let us know. Uh, we're at isfitshappy at gmail.com, or you can message us on any of the social medias, Facebook, Instagram, DM us on Twitter, anything like that. We're at isfitshappy. Welcome back to the second half of the show. (laughs) Second half? Yeah, hopefully it's not a half. Oh, man. Go on for an hour about what people say. (laughs) Um, No, we do want to thank another Alex who sent... A different Alex who sent (laughs) uh, pictures of two different cats. Yeah. Also one of them named Fitz Chivalry. Which is so cute. They're adorable. Love the pictures. Yes. Oh. Uh, if anyone else has pictures of pets named after characters in the book or just has pets, yeah, honestly, free. I was going to say, like, <laughs> feel Emma, free. Emma loves looking at different pets. So do I. <laughs> I think they're all good boys and girls and creatures and love them all. Um, feel free to send them to us. <laughs> it's the highlight of my week when I get to see <laughs> listeners' pets. Um, pets and memes. Mm-hmm. My two personality traits. <laughs> Yeah, we don't have pets, so we have to live vicariously through you guys. Yes. yes <laughs> unfortunately. But we, it is very amusing that 
another Alex also has a cat named Fitz. <laughs> then we also got a comment on um, our last episode on Instagram. Um, Peculiar Ponies, thank you so much for reaching out. I hope your lasagna tastes delicious. Yeah. Lasagna sounded so good. It made me crave lasagna. <laughs> Um, I still am. We have not made it yet, but. <laughs> well, you should have told me. I know. I'm sorry. We already uh, had the meal plan made this week. <laughs> and then we also got a uh, a comment on Facebook about um, Fitz getting his name from Verity. Yeah. And I completely agree. Um, man, I'm going to butcher this too. Antonis? Antonis? Thank you for for talking about that again because I I think it's a very impactful moment in Fitz's life. Mm-hmm. It's not really talked about much, and in this one, it gets another small little mention. And I made sure to read that out in the chapter. Yeah, because he gets a crest and a name, both from Verity. Mm-hmm. Even if he's named after his father, Verity really kind of takes over that position as yeah. like the beloved father figure in his life. Mm-hmm. Beric, he's had a falling out with, and he hasn't really made up with him because he still thinks that Beric <laughs> killed Nosy. Mm-hmm. Um, and Shade is like a mentor and yes, a father figure, but he doesn't More think of that... like an uncle. Yeah, he doesn't really think that Shade like loves him, loves him. Right. He's like a teacher. Mm-hmm. Verity is, is the guy right now. Yeah. So I really think it's impactful. Yeah, and I think I wasn't aware of this until this rereading when Luke brought it up, so it's like good to hear that other people also found it important. I think I just personally skip over name stuff because I'm more interested in the relationships, but that is part of a relationship, which is cool to find another thing that I just wasn't aware of on this read through. Yeah. I I mean, I definitely haven't read these as much as I'm sure some of you have, um, but I, I find new things every single time I'm going through them and I'm, mm-hmm. I'm loving going through on a deeper reread of books. I haven't really done it before. Uh-huh. Oh, I've, I've followed along on some books before, but I know you usually don't like to reread them. No, I'm not. I'm a pretty deep reader the first time through. I'm not a big reread person. I have a few books, like three, <laughs> that I could name <laughs> that I have reread, but otherwise I don't really like because I don't usually get much more out of it the second time. I hope you're getting more out of it this time. I the am. This is, <laughs> this is a book that is one of the, well, I guess this series, I guess, fits into one of my three. So. <laughs> all right. Thank you again for everyone who uh, reached out and um, yeah. we'd love to uh, hear from all of you. Yeah. It's really fun hearing your opinions. 